Welcome to Pod Parks, a podcast for the park-minded, brought to you by World Urban Parks. In this podcast, we'll embark on a journey through the world of parks, from intimate community parks to sprawling urban national parks and everything in between. Join us as we explore the beauty and diversity of these urban oases. Meet the individuals and organizations working tirelessly to preserve and improve them. Our guide will be Alice Landin, Research Development Advisor for World Urban Parks. So come along as we rediscover the green spaces that make our cities livable. Welcome back to Pod Parks. I am so happy that we get a chance to chat again. Today's episode is one I hope many of you will find not only relevant, but really useful for your fields. We had the honor of interviewing the team of Trust for Public Land about their work, some of the programs that they're leading, and especially their newest Park Score report. This report comes out today, so you'll get a chance to preview some of its contents before you read the whole report. I don't want to spoil anything, so I'm going to go straight to the episode, okay? Enjoy! Hello and welcome back to Pod Parks. Today we are being joined by two members of Trust for Public Land. Linda Huang, Senior Director of Strategy and Innovation, and Bianca Schulacher, Parks Initiative Lead and Senior Director of the 10-Minute Walk Program. Linda, Bianca, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. We're, we're going to talk a lot of really great developments and reports that you've been recently releasing uh, through the amazing work of Trust for Public Land. So to start us off, we have listeners from all over the world. So please introduce us to the work that your organization does. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. It's it's a thrill to be able to talk to other park enthusiasts around the world. Um, we love parks, we dream about them, we spend as much time as we can in them. And so it's always nice to find nice kind of commonality around the world. Um, TPL is a national nonprofit. We're connecting everybody to the benefits and joys of the outdoors. And we deliberately focus our work in communities where parks and public lands are needed the most. Our mission is land for people. Uh, and we deliver that mission through building and renovating parks, but we also transform schoolyards. We are building trail systems and we also protect a lot of land. Um, for us, access to the outdoors is a fundamental human need. Um, but we also know that there is a significant outdoor equity gap in this country. That's how we kind of think about the need. We know that 100 million people, including 28 million kids, do not have access to a park within a 10-minute walk of where they live. And that metric is actually a really important um, measure for us here in this organization. We also know that parks located in communities of color are half of the size of parks that are located in predominantly white neighborhoods, and they serve five times more people. Um, and we see a similar disparity when we're talking about um, low-income households. So for us, you know, that land for people mission drives everything that we do. Thank you, Linda. Now you've both been working tirelessly and for years uh, through Trust for Public Land to create, as you say, healthier, more equitable public spaces. And today we're going to talk all about that. We're going to talk all about equity and about park access. Um, 
So I want to start with the 10 minute walk program. So this is a program that you launched in 2017 and that you've been working on uh, improving through collaborations with other local actors. So could you tell us more about this initiative? Yeah, absolutely. And you hit the nail on the head there. That collaboration um, is a huge part of how we do all of our work. That Land for People mission that Linda mentioned really is core to everything that we, we do. Um, that involves working with community, that involves working with national partners, local partners, and then also a lot of our city groups and city partners. Um, and the 10 Minute Walk program launched in 2017, um, building on years of work that we've done with partners to build, create uh, city parks and city park systems that are healthy and providing benefits to communities. One of the key focuses building on that metric that Linda shared around the 100 million people who lack access to a park um, is really thinking about how do we fill that gap? And 100 million people filling that access gap will require thousands of parks. Um, and when we think about the parks that do exist around the country that maybe aren't serving communities because they're not maintained, they don't have the amenities communities need, they're not safe to access, that, that equity gap actually grows pretty significantly. So 10-Minute Walk and TPL's Parks Work at Large um, focuses on that idea of advancing park equity. And that's the idea that everybody deserves access to a high-quality park, one where they feel they belong, where they have activities that they want to do, one where your kids want to go play, one that also protects from flooding and heat um, and provides the multiple benefits that we know parks can provide. Um, and one of the things that 10 Minute Walk in particular is focused on is building the conditions in our cities that allow parks to, to thrive, to be those places of community. And that means that we work on providing, we, we work with cities to ensure that there's funding in place to maintain parks, to build new parks, to program them, that there's policy in place, which means that our cities and our city leaders um, really demonstrate their commitment to healthy park systems, um, and that there are partnerships and there's capacity and knowledge that helps uh, park practitioners and advocates and enthusiasts really make their park systems the best they can be. Um, and a big part of that is also working with the Land and People Lab at Chester Public Land to make sure that there's data and planning and support um, so that we know where there are gaps and we know the benefits that parks can provide. And so we can advocate for these places. We can really build them with all of those multiple benefits in mind. We know the 10 minute walk metric is seen across the globe and in cities and places uh, around the world. Um, in the US, there's over 300 mayors, 300 cities that have signed on to the 10 minute walk and made the commitment to expanding access to high quality close to home parks for residents. Um, and so we work very, very closely with, as I said, the cities, with partners, with communities um, to help build that infrastructure for parks. Um, so we're very excited. We, uh, we have Park Score launching uh, today. And I know that Linda's going to talk a little bit more about that. Um, but really, Park Score is one of the key advocacy and data tools that we use. Um, and that it ranks the most populous 100 cities in the US but it's highly influential and inspirational for all 300 cities that are signed on to the campaign um, and to many more that we hope will be joining in the near future. So I do want to talk about Park Score, but before we get to that, 
I want to understand that once these 300 mayors have signed on to the 10 minute walk initiative, what are the next steps? What, what would you think are these first key policy changes or maybe not even policy changes, the, these first few um, administrative steps to say, to, to start closing that park access gap? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Um, I love that idea of, of what are the steps to take? What's that roadmap? Um, and it's, it's very actionable, it's very feasible for cities and city leaders to actually commit and to act uh, to increase park access. Um, once the city is signed on, uh, once, the, once the mayor is committed, uh, we typically work with our city partners to, um, to invest in planning, to really understand what, a current, what the current park system is like. And we work very closely with Linda's team, Land and People Lab, um, on those planning efforts. And increasingly, we look, of course, at what is the park access? What is the 10-minute walk metric look like? What does that measure look like to the, to the city? Um, but also then, what is the mix of amenities? What is the mix of types of parks? Um, what do those parks look like? So we call that kind of park qualities or park performance. We really dig in um, and are digging in increasingly so with our city partners to really understand uh, what that park system looks like. Um, one of the really important next steps then is to help prioritize where to invest, how to invest and what you're investing in. Um, and we work very, very closely again with our city partners and also communities to really make sure that there's a vision and a plan for that for a park system moving forward. That can look a lot of different ways in from city to city. Uh, sometimes that's a very formal master plan. Sometimes that's a more visioning exercise. Um, it can be for the whole system. It can be for a specific neighborhood. We even help design very specifically what a particular park would look like. Um, and from there, we do work with our cities and our, our community partners um, to help make those visions a reality. And so we have a, a team that works with cities to help uh, create new funding for parks. Um, in the US, we have an, a, a big increase in federal funding. Um, and so we're helping a lot of our city and community partners uh, hopefully access some of those federal funds to increase these multi-benefit spaces. Um, and we also work to help actually implement these spaces on the ground. As I said, we help design, we really help build them, we help uh, make sure the construction happens. And increasingly, we're working with partners to make sure those places in the long term are activated in programs. Um, so there's a wide range of support and assistance that we, as an organization, work hand in hand with our city partners on. Um, but when we're when we are talking to a city leader, we're talking to a, a parks department or an advocate, um, enthusiast, we're asked, like, what do I do next? But it's the, the first best thing is get involved. Like, do you have a local park that you love? Go out, enjoy that space. Does it need improvements? Get involved, try and advocate for that. Um, so the first, I think the first step to take is always just to take a step back, enjoy your local spaces. And if there is room for your involvement, which there hopefully is, um, but that's a really good uh, place. No matter if you are in city government, your resident, um, there's there's a great role for you to take in, in uh, improving park access for all. I love two things you mentioned. First, this first step of gathering and analyzing all of the information possible, because as we've seen, a lot of um, especially more modern cities are kind of going into it blindsided, right, and are taking decisions without having the the full picture 
um, available to them. And that I think has resulted in a lot of this park inequity. Um, and I also love that you mentioned that you work with a, a lot of different local partners. Now, I personally, when I worked in the government, I was always very wary and very worried of the idea that after the administration was over, a new administration could come along and just have a completely different mindset and ignore all of the parks that had been built, that had been renovated for the communities. So I think I really want to highlight those two elements of what makes a successful program like this one of, of having those collaborations, as you say. And I think that that whole analysis aspect also takes us into your latest report, which I believe comes out today, May 24th. This week, today, actually, you're releasing the newest 2023 Park Score report and an upgraded Park Score index. So for those of us maybe not necessarily up to date with last year's report and what this report means, could you run through it? What are some of the main findings? Why is it important to have a metric like this one for the U.S.? Yeah, we are so excited every year to release the Park Score Index. So I can just clarify, we what we do is we rank the 100 largest cities in the United States and how well their park systems are meeting the needs of their local residents. So um, we're excited that today during in our release, we see Washington, D.C. repeating as the Park Score champion. Um, we're also excited to see the city of Irvine in Southern California climb into the top five. And Irvine's games show that cities can actually take concrete steps to improve their rankings and improve their park systems. Um, what the Park Score Index does is it looks at five categories of park systems. So we measure park acreage, park access, um, park amenities, park investments, and then also equity. And so collectively, that gives us a really good sense for how park systems are doing. We're looking at trends on investments. We're looking at trends in acreage. Um, and for us this year, we're sort of, we're just really exciting that one of the main findings is that park investment in many cities is trending up. So we have been sounding the alarm over declining park budgets for years. I think a lot of your listeners uh, have probably noticed the effect of you know, declining maintenance in parks and feeling like your local park just isn't looking as fresh and, and exciting as you'd like it to be. So we're really excited to see this good news. Um, it's, it's not just kind of an all out celebration though for us on investment because it is inconsistent among cities. And so, you know, we're still seeing a lot of cities still digging their way out of those big COVID era budget cuts. Um, but it's really good news um, for us. You know, it is a sign that park advocates are being heard, that we that city leaders, folks like um, the folks that Bianca's team is working with, elected officials, mayors, and their teams, that they understand that parks are really vital to their communities. And last year's report, you highlighted the power of parks to address climate change. This year, we're taking on a different approach. You're highlighting a different theme. C could you give us a preview of what that is? Yeah, yeah. Well, the report just came out today. And so what we do is when we release the index, we also um, home in on a specific theme. So right last year, we looked at um, the connection between parks and climate resilience because parks can do so much to add to communities resilience by 
you know, absorbing floodwaters. They act, they can provide canopy, help to mitigate um, urban heat. They also provide great environmental health, you know, through air, better air pollution, better air quality. Um, this year we focused on health. And, you know, we all know here that access to nature and the outdoors is a really powerful public health strategy. And so everybody should have that availability and good access because when people do have access to high quality parks, they do experience better mental health, better physical health. We see more connections to people in their community. Um, and we're really excited that today's report that we released, we did some good analysis and we discovered that cities with the highest park score rankings are in fact healthier places to live. So residents in cities that ranked um, in the first quarter, so one through 25 on our park score index are 9% less likely to report poor mental health than they are in residents of lower ranking cities. And we also saw that residents in these higher ranking cities are also 21% less likely to be physically inactive. And so we just, we love to see these trends and it just means that, you know, park departments, city leaders, they're really getting creative in using parks to promote health. We saw some just fantastic data that played this out. Absolutely. And I want to connect that to what you were mentioning before about funding. So one of the trends we've seen is how parks unfortunately have to compete for funding with other essential resources like health, like climate adaptation mitigation, like roads, et cetera, et cetera. When we who, who work in the parks world know that these are actually complementary, right? And parks can be used as health infrastructure, as climate infrastructure, as mobility infrastructure. Do you think, or ha have you seen any tangible results in having an index of this nature in how cities manage these budgets and include parks into other infrastructure budgets? I will start, but I will definitely have uh, have Bianca um, add in some good color here. Um, I think we don't, what we're trying to do is elevate parks as a solution to many community uh, challenges. So they can be part of a climate resilient solution. They can be part of um, a very comprehensive healthcare solution. They can be part of a solution to address this polarization that is sort of slowly, you know, gripping us in this country at least. And so we don't like to force this choice between you know, what people might consider basic necessities, because frankly, getting out into nature, into access is a fundamental human need. And so we're trying to really bring forward the evidence, you know, like this kind of data that residents in cities are in fact healthier. They're less likely to report these mental health issues. They're, they're much less likely to be physically inactive. Um, when we can put forward that data, we see that park systems take it, they use it to justify um, the funding that they have in place, all of the work that they're already doing on the ground. And then they're using it also to advocate for more funding. And so we love the work that um, Bianca's team is doing to engage mayors because mayors are out there and they're using the data and they're saying, look, it's working. When we invest in parks, we are investing in people. So Bianca, I think you have some great stories there to tell. Yeah. I completely agree with everything Linda just shared and parks really are 
part of a solution to confronting many of the urgent challenges we see today, um, from sort of the mental health and loneliness uh, challenges that have been really gripping a lot of the world, and particularly in the U.S. over the past couple of years, to the social cohesion issues and challenges we see. And Alice, you mentioned also transportation and climate. That there's a lot of other needs that cities are are needing to invest in. Um, and there's increasing evidence and research that the parks significantly contribute very positively to to all of those issues. And for instance, the city of Cleveland in Ohio um, invested in some of the waterfronts and, and a big trail in the city through transportation funding. Um, creating ways for people to get around in the city to connect neighborhoods um, in a way that reduces carbon through, through car use um, and also makes people healthier because they are being physically active and able to get outside. Um, and that kind of exercise in green has a lot of health benefits as well. So Cleveland continues to invest. The mayor has been pretty vocal about investing in the waterfront, um, both for these multiple benefits, but also for importance economic and uh, continuing to grow the city. So there's a lot of multiple reasons why these kinds of green space investments um, are important. And it also opens up a lot of those different funding streams, whether that is transportation funding, whether that's health funding, um, we can really get creative in creating a, a very strong quilt, if you will, or puzzle of, of funding pieces to make sure that we are um, investing in these spaces for the long term. There's a lot of other examples of cities doing great work. Scranton, Pennsylvania, we're working with um, also from a transportation safe, safe routes perspective to make sure that people can get between neighborhoods, between destinations, including parks um, in safe ways. There's a lot of also cities that are investing in parks as part of their climate infrastructure, as part of their network of green and urban greening, which also includes uh, like rain gardens and canopy, which help to cool cities and help to protect from flooding. Um, and there's right now, particularly in the U.S., quite a lot of funding that is going towards environmental justice and combating a lot of these uh, increasing climate challenges. Um, and we're seeing many cities begin to use and continue to use green and parks as a core part of, of that long-term resilience planning. That is fantastic. Now, I know that this has been a true labor of love, and I can only start to imagine all of the time and expertise that was attached to it. What advice would you give other park organizations, other entities from around the world, especially in emerging regions where maybe the data is not as accessible, that are attempting to systematically gather and analyze their own national data in a way that, as you say, can complete puzzles for, for park and other public infrastructure needs. So your question was around kind of emerging markets, right? And maybe places where there isn't, I mean, here in this country, we know where every single park is and we know every park boundary, we know all the park access points. And that's a very, very, very special data set um, that is so important because it anchors us in kind of you know, where is the where is the baseline today for this city and this park system? And so where can you begin to improve? I think what advice that we would give is just, you know, start with trying to get as much information as you can around where are your parks today? Just, just 
baseline information because that actually we realized when we were building part, uh, we actually run something called a park serve database. And so this is you know the locations of every park in 14,000 cities and towns in the United States. And we built that database because we were asking questions about park systems. We knew that parks could deliver all of these benefits to people, but we had no way of saying, well, who, what people? And what's the challenge in that particular place? And how might the park be designed to deliver benefits? How might the park be programmed to, build, to address some of the challenges in a local neighborhood? We have field teams spread out across the United States who are building and improving parks. They are talking to people on the ground. We have that information but we didn't have any other data to complement it. So we sort of said, look, we need to start with just where are the parks? Um, and so that's a it's, a, it's a significant undertaking, but it's so important because at least you have some common ground to begin with. And then from there, you Absolutely. can at least say, you know, let's set some goals. So if, our, if we are focused on increasing park access, let's talk about what that looks like. The 10-minute walk is a really beautiful, simple concept that everybody can grasp, right? We want to be able to walk to a park. We don't have to drive and the bike even better. Like, let's roll to the park and get there somehow easily. And then secondly, let's think about equity. Where are the communities that historically have been disadvantaged, who historically have never been asked what they think is important? Let's engage them and make sure that these green spaces can be designed um, with them, for them. And, you know, I think that's where just set your baseline and set some goals as a good place to get started. Yeah, I think that's amazing advice, Linda. And I would just add that it's uh, never too soon to get started on this as we see cities growing or changing, um, transforming. The more that we develop our, our lands and we use land in different ways, the harder it gets to build in green, to build resilience into our, into our land use if we're not doing it from the beginning. So there's, um, I think that there's an urgency to beginning this work and to be thinking about this from the beginning, whether that's in a city that is, that is pretty built out already, who's looking to um, perhaps use some public land or use private lands in new ways, um, whether that's a city that is growing and looking to develop vacant land, making sure that we're protecting green um, as any of those changes happen will help ensure that resilience, all of those community benefits, all the health benefits are baked into the way that our cities grow. Yeah, and yeah. You, don't, you don't want to underestimate um, the, the value of having nice local community-based organizations who are really grounded in just what's happening in, in different neighborhoods. Um, and listening and asking good questions and then connecting parks and the opportunity that parks represent to those communities and for those neighborhoods. So, you know, Bianca said it really well at the beginning for TPL, partnerships and collaboration is the foundation of everything that we do. We do nothing that is not in partnership with a series of other organizations. Um, so local groups and then, you know, with her 10-minute walk team now, that program is all about engaging elected officials. And when you can bridge that for people and, and you know, be kind of the connector, that's where you get a lot of the magic that begins to happen. Because then you start getting people talking to each other, looking for solutions, 
collectively saying, you know, here's the data that we're missing. Here are the stories that we would love to be telling. And then you can kind of set people on a path to kind of divide and conquer all of the things that you're trying to learn and trying to communicate out from there. So, you know, it may feel like, oh, well, I'm the only person who cares about parks, but you're not the only person who cares about mental health. And you're not the only person who cares about flooding that might be happening in your neighborhood, um, extreme heat and what that's like. You're not the only person who maybe is worried that, you know, you, you're not gonna know what to do when you get to a park or you don't have any friends to meet outside. These are common um, vulnerabilities that people have around the world. And what is remarkable about what we find here at TPL is that when you engage people and you bring them through the process of designing a park, you're kind of daydreaming together about your dreams, your aspirations, what scares you, what makes you laugh, what makes you cry. And that process is, is powerful. It's, it, it, you know, you, you're sort of understanding each other, you start to shift power, shift identity. And um, so much can come from that. You know, we feel like we're successful when, if we've done the ribbon cutting, we walk away and we see that the networks that we were part of are just marching on, addressing a bunch of other problems that have nothing to do with the park. Like that's, that's our real sign of progress for us. Wow, that is so nicely put. Thank you both, not only for the answer, but for feeding our collective imagination of what parks are capable of doing, because that is just beautiful. Um, now, we are unfortunately running out of time, but before we leave, I want to ask you both something that every Pod Parks interviewee has to go through. So from your professional and personal experience, what would you say is the single biggest benefit a park can provide for the people, communities, and the planet? All right, I'll start here. Like we've, maybe you can cheat up this question a little bit, but we've already reviewed some of the benefits that we won't repeat here. And I think what Linda was just describing around sort of the magic of parks, that these are really places that are superfoods for our communities. Um, I would highlight that, I, that one of the huge benefits is that these are places that can be core to our happiness and to our hope, both as individuals and community. And I think that often one of the maybe unexpressed benefits of parks, but such an important one. Um, I know that I feel that very personally, and I know it's also what drives me professionally, um, but I love that parks can be that, that centering place for us as people, as collectives, as society. Um, and I think that's, that's really one of the magical elements that sets parks apart from other places, um, and one reason why they're so important in our lives. That is a great question, and I, I would love to see, like, the compilation of all the responses that you get from people. Oh, yeah, Th those are coming. I, yeah, God, that's just fantastic. Um, I, I think, I, I think it, for me, it's about it's this idea of diversity writ large. Um, there's a great study in the United States conducted by the Knight Foundation and Gallup. Uh, the Knight Foundation is a great uh, funder who's really made a lot of investments in placemaking here in the United States. And um, they found that community attachment is, is really is positively correlated with local economic growth, local GDP, and that people with a strong sense of community identity are more open to living in a diverse community. 
And there's something, you know, really great about when you have a park that you go to and you see people there that you recognize and maybe you're, you know, it's your dog walking park. It's people who are doing the loop all the time. It's the set of kids. You start to have this shared sense of place and a shared sense of community. And that, 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 that has led to people being more open to just living among diverse people, people who are very different from them, sort of see them being normal, doing normal things, taking care of their kids, taking care of themselves. Like suddenly whatever you thought was different or scary is just like out the window because you're all just outside, you know, taking care of yourself, taking your family. And there is this, there's this like meeting point that happens in a park, you know, very um, tangibly and then kind of mentally and psychologically that I think is the real power of parks. And it's, it's just, um, it's, I can only think of it as diverse since you're forcing me to pick one thing, which is awful. And it's a nice constraint that I appreciate, but um, it's hard to, it's hard to pick, right? Because there's so much, so much here that we see, but we're all drinking the Kool-Aid too. So we're biased. Absolutely. And again, I have to go back to what both of you are saying is, again, feeding into this collective imagination that goes beyond those physical benefits of parks. We tend to go straight to health, to climate change, to um, economic growth for a community where deep down, we all know that parks are just such an essential part of existing as individuals but also as communities and so I think what you both expressed is just a marvelous way of, of putting that so we are unfortunately out of time but where can people find more of your work more of the work of TPL and where can people read the park score report and where can people find the index and maybe find their city and start asking some questions yeah, I would recommend checking out tpl.org and 10minutewalk.org as well um, for more information both about Trust for Public Lands and the 10 Minute Walk program and the resources that are available. And Linda, do you want to share where to find the amazing report that's out today? Yeah, so when you go to tpl.org, it's on our homepage today. You cannot miss it. Um, so you can see the index, you can download the report. I'll also point your listeners to tpl.org slash park serve um, because you can type in any city in this country anyways, type in any city uh, and you'll see immediately your city boundary. You'll see all the parks. You'll see all the park need areas, park priority areas and get it. And then you can even turn on and off data on where is there a heat island? Where is there? Um, let's look at some um, health data. Let's look at some air pollution data as well. So you kind of get a start to get a sensor where new parks or existing parks can um, offer different solutions to some of these environmental and health uh, challenges. So tpl.org slash parks serve is a really nice place to get started in addition to uh, 10minutewalk.org and tpl.org. Excellent. Well, I'll make sure to link all of those websites into the episode notes. Thank you again so much for joining us. This has been Pod Parks, and we hope to see you again very, very soon. Thank you for having us. Such a pleasure.
This is the end of today's episode. Join us next week for more nuanced conversations about the world of parks. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. And please leave us a review to help us reach a lot more park enthusiasts like yourself. Get involved and get connected with park professionals from around the world by visiting worldurbanparks.org. Before I let you go, I would love to know if you were to evaluate your local park, your city park, what score would you give it? And what elements do you think would make it get a perfect score? Thank you for listening to Pod Parks by World Urban Parks. Pod Parks is written and hosted by Alice Landin, produced by Vitoria Martin and Luis Roman, sound engineering by Vladimir Yanez. Don't forget to visit worldurbanparks.org and explore the resources our online community has for you. Get out, explore, connect.